As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. My wife Katie uh, did some spring cleaning recently, and as she was cleaning out closets and reorganizing things, she came across those treasures, those treasured pictures of old, and we found not only an old picture of her as a baby, but what we were amazed about is we took a picture of her uh, next to a picture we found of Allie, our youngest. Now, with four kids, you're actually excited you have any pictures of your youngest, you know? You got like 8,000 of your first, uh, 500 of your second, 250 of your third, and you're scrambling for the last one. But it was amazing to say, man, they look so much alike. I mean, we just kind of were stunned of, to realize. And it's interesting to me because I have actually dug up some of Katie's old pictures I have on my desk at home. I have a picture of her as a baby. I have a picture of her as a teenager. I have a picture of her when we met in college. All kind of put together. And because they beautifully remind me of our own kids. There's so much of the traits I see, and especially our daughters. When I, when I look at her, I'm like, wow, that's, that's Allie or Jesse as a teenager. I could see it. And I am so grateful that my children are blessed with my wife's traits. And not just physically, but I'm, I'm so, uh, yeah, some of you are laughing like, yeah, thank God, Jeff. That's the only hope they had, right? Uh, but seriously, I mean, just to be able to pass on the one who I love the most here on earth uh, to see them manifest in my kids who, you know, your kids, wow, you love. It's just awesome. Well, we have a way of receiving uh, traits uh, from our, our parents, our heritage, some good. Come on. Some might not be quite so good. Uh, uh, especially, are you all in marriage ever talk about how you see the, your father-in-law or mother-in-law's trait in your spouse? Let me tell you, don't do that. Not a good thing. I counsel against that. Well, we've been looking through the book of Genesis. And we've been looking at the life specifically of Abraham in this journey. And as we've been looking through the life of Abraham, we're just amazed of God's grace in his life, that he is like us. He is a man who, by God's grace, is saved uh, through faith, through faith in a promised son. Uh, The promised son ultimately will be one who will come named Jesus. And we also see God's rich blessing on him with a wife named Sarah. Well, this Mother's Day, we're going to look at Sarah. And so we are going to stay in the book of Genesis, but our focus is going to shift from Abraham to Sarah, because Sarah is called the mother of nations. I mean, she's called the one who kings will come through. And so we will see in Sarah that if she is the mother of nations, if we have, by God's grace through faith, been connected to her as well, we're going to see some family traits. So we're going to look at at her life, and we're going to look at that she's the mother of of many of our faults. Uh, I don't mean to... uh, um, sling any mud here, but really we're going to look at Sarah. I love what the Bible does. It tells us the truth about those who went before us. It tells us the good and the bad and the ugly. And it really does all of that to show that every single one who ever lived needed Jesus, and so did Sarah. So we're going to look at uh, how that she is connected to us in faults. We're also going to see how she's connected to us in faith. And then lastly, we're going to see how she is connected to us in story. That how the Bible portrays, there's really one of two stories that you're living. One that Sarah lived, that she's called the mother of that story, and one that, that those without faith live in. So it, this Mother's Day text, although it will have looking at Sarah, I can guarantee you this, it's for every single one of you. So if you aren't a mother, will never be a mother, you're a male, uh, hey, good news, uh, this is for you as well. 
So let's look to God's inerrant holy word. And we're going to pick up the story of Sarah, although she is first mentioned in chapter 11. At the end of that chapter, we're going to read how uh, she is called a, a mother of nations in Genesis 17, verses 15 and 16. Hear God's holy word. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. She shall, shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and do that which only you can do? Would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? God, would you come in your grace and your presence and give us the ears to hear, to hear your word, the minds to understand your truth, the hearts to embrace your love, that each one of us can walk out of here a part of your story, of your love and your rescue, that that you would love your children and lavish that love upon us, that we could be called your children. And that is what we are. So, Father, as your children, we pray that you would give us eyes to see Sarah as one that's linked to us through faith, as a spiritual mother. That you would give us the boldness to be able to look at her faults, not to sling mud, but to realize she's like us. Give us the ability to see her faith. And God, may we rejoice that we have the privilege of being a part of hers. No, no, your story. The things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of Jesus Christ and his gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, the Bible story of Sarah does start in Genesis 11, in 29 and 30. And it's basically going to start off like this. Well, well, Sarai uh, was married to Abraham. At the time, he was known as Abram. It's also going to tell us later in the story that, that Sarah was connected to Abraham, not only through marriage, but also this was his half-sister. And so when it starts off the story, it says that, that, that Sarah, like Abraham, came from the same people. Um, that there was a bond t- together. But immediately it says this about Sarah. We're told immediately who she is, but we're also told immediately that Sarah has a stigma. Sarah has a label. Sarah is called barren. Think about that. Your name's going to be mentioned in Scripture. You're going to be mentioned. And within the first few verses, the first few words of who you are, Scripture is going to say, Sarah is barren. She is going to be known for this condition. This condition will define her. It will shape her. It will be a part of her life for 90 years. Probably in the ancient Near East, it probably only became a factor when she was around 15 and when she didn't have any children. So for 75 of her first 90 years, Sarah had a label. Sarah had a stigma. Sarah is the mother of all of us with a stigma. The world would identify her not by who she is, but by more of by her condition. How is it with you? Some of us have been called skinny 
fat, poor, weak, deformed, freckled, acne, stutter. Sarah can relate. For all of us who have lived a life and have had a label attached to us, Sarah is the mother of all those with a stigma. Isn't it good news? Isn't it good news that the world may call us or even God's word may call us something, but at the same time, that stigma doesn't have to define us. Not only is Sarah the mother of all those with a stigma, she's also a mother of all those who have been exploited. Let me tell you a little bit about the love affair that Sarah and Abraham had. We've seen it once in Genesis 12. We will see it again in Genesis 20. But Sarah has stunning beauty. Even as a 65-year-old woman, when they traveled to Egypt, Abraham was nervous about his wife's beauty because he knew that when people saw how amazingly good-looking she was, they would want her for themselves. And so not once... But twice, Abraham is going to exploit his wife for his own safety. Twice, Sarah had her husband, the one who's supposed to protect her, the one that's supposed to be ahead over her, the one who is supposed to make sure, who honors her, twice, instead of doing that, he absolutely exploits his own wife. How many of you can relate to that? I mean, this is kind of the exploiting of twice. He says, well, just lie to him. Just say that like a half truth, you're my sister. I think that there's many in this congregation that can understand what it feels like to be exploited by those who should be loving you. I think there's probably many that this Mother's Day probably makes you feel a little bit that pain. I mean, those who really should have protected you, instead they pushed you in harm's way. Those who really should have loved you, but they selflessly took from you. You know, what's really repugnant about what happened in South Korea with, the, with this tragedy on this ferry is that is the captain saved himself. And really, the, this, the difficult story is, is how, how do you not do that? You're the captain. You're the, you're the one that goes down with the ship. I mean, you're the one who protects those who are entrusted to you. You protect them with your very life. And here you have Sarah, who's, who's been given by God to Abraham, and, and he's supposed to protect her with his very life. And Stacey says, well, I'm worried about my life. Will you please, I'm going to put you in the arms of another. Now, your story's probably not exactly similar to that. But I guarantee you there's many who feel exploited here. Maybe by a father or a mother that should have loved you and didn't. Maybe by someone who looked at your beauty and robbed it from themselves. Maybe even for a husband who's so addicted to porn that you feel exploited. There's a lot of you that's there. Sarah, we can relate to Sarah, right? We can relate to her because she's got a stigma. We can relate to Sarah because she has been exploited. We can relate to her. She's the mother of all who have been exploited. But she's more than that. She's, She's the mother of all who scheme. I mean, Sarah is the mother like like many of us who, who instead of waiting for God's promises to unfold, she manipulates, she schemes, she connives. I mean, it was, it was Sarah that says, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of being called barren. I'm tired of being exploited. God has made a promise. He seems to be dragging his feet. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. 
And so Sarah's the one who schemes, and she schemes with a woman named Hagar, who's an Egyptian, who's her maidservant. And she not only, so here's this relationship. How healthy is this? Abraham's going to give Sarah into the arms of, of other kings, and Sarah is going to give into the arms of Abraham, her maidservant, and say, why don't you have a kid through that one? I mean, really, there's dysfunction here, is it not? I mean, this is, this is God's story. This is our family. And in this family, we're going to see that she is the mother of all who scheme. That one maybe hits me the most. Because I think at my core is I'm a schemer. I think at my core is, is that I, I want things my way and my timing uh, with the things that would look like good, they're good for me. And if there's a delay in what my self-gratification, it's amazing how quickly I go to scheming. Maybe even using religion or Bible to find what I need. So for all of us who realize at the end of the day, if we're honest, that we're schemers, we see Sarah, who's a mother of schemers. We not only see that, but she's a mother of doubt. I mean, when God himself shows up and says, hey, by the way, this time next year, Sarah's going to have a child. She's going to have a son. When I come back here in a year, she is going to have a son. And what does Sarah do? She doesn't fall down and worship God. She laughs in doubt. You know, whatever. There's a 90-year-old, withered, no longer knowing the ways of a woman, going to have a child. God was in her household, Scripture says. The Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty made a promise to her, made a pledge to her. It was no doubt within a year, and still she laughed, saying, whatever. I mean, Sarah is the mother of all who doubt. And those of us who have a tendency to doubt, we can relate to her. Not only is she that, not, not only is she the one who doubt, but she's the mother of all those who lie. It wasn't enough that she doubted God's promise, but when God himself went right to her and said, why did you laugh? Is there anything too hard for God? And you know what she said? I didn't laugh. <laughs> and she was, she was so fearful of being exposed, but she was already exposed that she would, she would double up her sin and she would say, let me lie about the fact that God Almighty, Sarah is the mother of all those who have the propensity to lie. She's the mother of all those who would rather not be exposed and would rather twist the truth because somehow she missed the fact of how merciful and gracious God really is. And the amazing thing is, is God dealt with her so gently. She's the mother of all those who have faults. Did, did any of those run as an eight with you? Rejoice! Because let me tell you about her. She's also the mother of our faith. That's, that's not all bad news. And let me, let me just get to even some of the better stuff because there seems to be a little heavy cloud right now. Let me tell you what makes it through the story and what makes it through what we call redemptive history, what makes it through the cross of Christ Jesus. When you get to the New Testament, guess how Sarah is viewed? A hero. She makes it in the hall of fame of, of faith in Hebrews 11. I mean, yes, she's a doubter. Yes, she's a liar. Yes, she's a schemer. Uh, yes, she was the one who, who took things matters in her own hands. Yes, she, she had a, uh, a stigma. And yet, what does, what does Hebrews 11 say about her? It said that by God's grace, through faith, through faith, she believed that God was able to do it. And 1 Peter 3, you know what 1 Peter 3 is going to call her? A holy woman. Galatians 4 is going to basically say that, that all those who have faith, all those who are free because of what Christ is doing, has done for us, she is the free woman. And through her, we find freedom in Christ 
too. It's amazing that she is lifted up. It's amazing what goes through the cross. She is known for her faith. Even though her faith was as small as a mustard seed. Stop right there. At the end of the day. Listen. At the end of the day. When you stand before your great God. And you have faith by God's grace that might have been at times as small as a mustard seed. That faith will be preserved in Christ Jesus. And that faith will be known. And you will be known if by God's grace you have faith in Christ Jesus. That will be what defines you. That will be what will link you to the one who will save you. Isn't that good news? Isn't it amazing that God allows us to go through life and know that there's going to be some ups and downs? At the end of the day, he's going to say, but they did have faith. At the end of the day, even though it's as small as a mustard seed, she's called a holy woman. Scripture calls her holy. I just, I just showed you. She was a schemer. She was a liar. She was a doubter. But in the righteousness of Christ. Remember what happened to Abraham? Abraham wasn't saved because of religious stuff, Right? It says in Genesis 15 that that it was credited to to Abraham as righteousness. He was seen as righteous in God's eyes by God's grace and faith in Christ. So, so, So the righteousness of Christ is what's defining and enabling and empowering and saving Abraham and Sarah. I had a friend of mine who who I've talked about a lot who's still struggling to see if he can really believe in this Jesus. And this, this week's episode of conversation was, what's going on with the church making all these saints? I mean, it seems like there's, a, there seems like there's more saints now than ever before in history. Is it really like, what's going on? And I'm like, well, that's not my tradition. Uh, we're not the ones who are, are, are declaring saints. But I want to tell you something. That sainthood isn't for those with a couple of defined miracles or sainthood isn't for those who were once popes or once this or once that. Do you know who sainthood is really for? According to the scriptures, the word agios, the holy ones, are those who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Sainthood, those that God calls holy, are his own children. It's you. It's me. He is not colorblind. He is not blind to our faults and our foibles. He is not uh, uh, somehow dense or obtuse to the fact that we are a rebellious people. He knows that. But how in the world does God call you, call me, call Sarah holy? Because of Jesus and the work of his son and all God's grace. The only way she is holy is through that promised seed that was to come that promised seed is Jesus. We see not only is, is, is that we see her as a mother of our faults and the, the mother of our faith, but here's the, here's the key turning point for each one of us. Is she the mother of our story? Is she the mother of our story? Because in her story, first of all, we see that God is her hero and ours. And oh, what a hero he is. What I love about the clarity of God's love for Sarah, look at her story closely. Who rescues her out of Egypt? God. 
When her husband says, you go into his arms, God says, I'll have none of it. Who rescues her out of King Abimelech's arms in Genesis 20? It's God. Who is the hero of Sarah's story? It's God and God Almighty. He graciously deals with her. He rescues her. He gives her a name, a name that identifies her with himself. God is her hero. Is God your hero? Is God the one who shares his name with you? Is God the one who's rescued you out of the arms of sin and death? Is God the one who is your hero? You see, that's how our story becomes part of her story. But it's more. Again, she had faith. It is said in the scriptures that she had faith in the promised seed that would come even when she was old. Even when she was as good as dead, she had faith that one would come named Jesus. But you know what else I love about her story? The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 says that she died without the promises being fully realized. That although she had faith and although scripture calls her holy and although she is held up as a hero, do you know that she had an ache just like you have? Do you know that she has a longing just like you have? Do you know that that she wanted more just like you want more? Why? Not because she was materialistic. Not because she was somehow egocentric. She longed for more because she was created by God for God. And she longed to be with God and all that that means for the new heavens and the new earth to arrive. And so she lived like a foreigner. She lived like an exile. She lived like a stranger longing for the city that God makes. And that's where we are. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we've been made holy in Christ Jesus. But don't we long for even more? God's story, our story, her story. And then you get to this amazingly beautiful passage in Galatians 4. In Galatians 4, starting uh, about 16, I believe, it will tell this, basically that the story of the Bible is going to break down between two stories. Just hang with me. It's going to say that the story of Hagar and the story of Sarah, they're going to represent two covenants. They're going to represent two lifestyles. They're going to represent two ways that God sees us. And anything apart from Jesus, anything apart from God's promised son, and that, that's the law, that's the curse, that's death. But anything associated with God's promises that we see through Sarah and that promised son, that's the promise of freedom. Although Galatians 4 never calls her by name, instead it gives her a title. The free woman. The free woman. And it says even more about that. It says that she is a free woman in Galatians 4.22. But in Galatians 4.31 it says this. We are her children. If by God's grace we have faith that we are part of his story. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And then the next, very next verse in chapter 5. Remember in the original there were not chapters. This would continue to be written by the inspired word of God and through pens, Paul's pen. He says that now we are, we are children of this free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. If this is your story, and by God's grace, through faith, you have a relationship with Christ, you and I are told that we have freedom in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means this, that freedom that our faults don't define us. Freedom that our stigma won't follow us into heaven. 
that we will be defined by who Christ is, not by who we're not. You will be defined. You are set free from the power of sin. You are set free from the penalty of sin. You are set free from the wrath of God through the work of Christ Jesus. That right now, God loves you and loves you completely and loves you perfectly and he will never drive you away. You truly are free. Free to know that God will never change his mind about you. Free to know that he will never drive you out of his presence. Free to know that you can be you and be radically loved. Freedom in Christ Jesus. Freedom that has come from the free woman, Sarah. And the seed that was promised to her, named Jesus. We've got to remember that your faith does not ultimately set you free. Wait a minute, Pastor, hold on. Your faith does not ultimately set you free. Christ, Jesus, sets you free. It's by God's grace that we have faith that connects us to Christ Jesus. But it's through Jesus' life that was righteous, his death that was sacrificial, and his resurrection that conquered death, that we have freedom. Apart from him, there is none. I love finding spring cleaning if it finds old pictures. There's nothing greater than looking at old pictures. And look at a picture and say, man, that was about 100 LBs ago. Or I had no gray hair in that one. Or, oh my goodness, can you remember when our kids were like this? There's nothing like family pictures. I bet for this Mother's Day, there'll be a lot of family pictures. There'll be a lot of things that are snapped. Let's get a picture with mom. The question this morning is, are you in God's family picture? You're not gonna be disqualified because of a stigma. You're not gonna be disqualified because you're a doubter or a liar, a schemer. You will not be disqualified for any of those things that if by God's grace you have faith in God's son, that you too will be in God's family picture. How is it with you? You got one or two families, one or two stories, one or two pictures. And in Sarah, we see the grace of God so clearly. This Mother's Day, the greatest gift is offered to you, whoever you are. Get in God's family picture. Get in there by God's grace through faith. Let him define you and nothing else. All you have to do is embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior. And for the rest of us who are in there, don't let those stigma the world will say define you. Let Jesus define you. And you gotta live your life as freedom, alive and fruitful for him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Sarah's story. I love the fact that when you get to the New Testament, the only thing that we really see about her story that remains is that you call her holy, you call her your own, and you bless her for her faith. And Father, we thank you that through the cross, her stigma was lost. Her lying and doubting weren't remembered. Her scheming was driven away. At the end of the day, she's in the family photo. And by your grace, so am I. And God, I pray for anybody not in the photo.
that today would be the day they would come to you and confess their sins and their stigmas and their lying and their doubting and their scheming and their cheating to, to a God who is so gracious and lovingly and longly wants to forgive. And that God, that they would find the freedom that comes from a relationship with you. And God, I pray for those who this morning, Mother's Day is really difficult. Would you be amazingly gracious? And for all of us in the photo, may we be truly alive and fruitful for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.